Well, if you'll remember back in our study of 1 Thessalonians, back to chapter 2, we saw Paul had been accused of these acts of hypocrisy. He, along with his missionary companions, uh, Timothy and Silas, had been accused of having ulterior motives in ministry. Paul was being criticized for his failure. Uh, in fact, uh, he was being criticized for his ministry there that it was insincere. He was just a hypocrite. He was there to, to gain prestige and maybe make a little money along the way. And if you'll remember, Paul, everywhere he went... On his missionary journeys, he preached the gospel, and by God's grace, people were saved. And then along comes a, a group of people that don't particularly like Paul. And what do they do? They, they, they pull together this group of people, they have a riot, and they run, run Paul out of town. And so they're telling the people here in Thessalonica, you know, Paul's not come back for a reason. It's proof that he doesn't care anything about you. He cares nothing about you, or, or he would have been back by now. Back a couple of weeks ago, in chapter 2, verses 17 through 20, Paul responds to these accusations that's being made against him. In our text today, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul is still dealing with that same issue. He's still responding to these accusations against him that he does not care about these Thessalonians. What we have here, and you may be thinking, this is the Apostle Paul. How, how can what Paul do possibly be an example for us? I think we have here a wonderful example of what it is to have Christian concern. The concern Christians are to have for other Christians. We have a perfect example of how Christian ministry should take place within the local church. Here we have how Christians should respond to other Christians. How Christians should be concerned about other believers in the body of Christ. We have an example of how a Christian... It's to serve God, and at the same time, He serves other people within the body of Christ. We see a part of what it means to be uh, a disciple-maker. We've talked about Jesus' command of the church, go and make disciples. This is part of what it means to make disciples, to mature believers in the faith. We see Paul giving us an example of that today. We see what it means to be committed to the Word of God, and to be committed to the people of God today. Paul... No doubt, we know Paul was committed to God and His Word, but Paul was very much committed to the people of God. In verse 1, in our text today, today, and again in verse 5, Paul shows the intensity of his concern for these Christians. Paul says here twice, there came a time in Athens when he could bear it no longer, that he was separated from these people. Paul says... I must take some action to find out what is going on with these believers back in Thessalonica. Paul was more concerned about other Christians, and we're going to see that today, so he decided that he would send Timothy to them while he remained in the city of Athens alone. So that's the setting that's going on here. Paul is in Athens, and he's concerned about these Christians that he's left behind in Thessalonica. And he can't bear it any longer. Remember, he's been hindered by who? From getting back there. Satan, he wants to know what's going on with these believers. Are they holding to the faith? Are they staying with the gospel? He's concerned about them, so he says, I can't go, I'll send Timothy, which means I'll be left here alone. And that's sort of the setting we're in as we get to this particular point in 1 Thessalonians. Now, the main idea of what's going on in this passage today is this, strengthening the faith of the flock. That's what we're going to see, strengthening the faith of the flock. And I'll outline this as we go along for the sake of time this morning. So if you look with me verses 1 and 2, here's what we see in verses 1 and 2. Christians help other Christians grow in the faith. Christians help other Christians grow in the faith. Look with me at verse 1. 
Paul says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Notice this unbearable suspense that Paul had. In verse 1, it begins with the word, therefore, indicating for us that this passage goes back to chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And in those verses, Paul was expressing this intense desire to get back to these believers. Paul tells them he had tried repeatedly to get back. He said in verse 17, we endeavor the more eagerly with great desire to see you. And in verse 18, he says, we wanted to come to you, but we were being hindered by Satan. Now, I, I, I explained to you that I didn't know exactly how Satan was hindering him, but Paul knew that's what was going on. And now Paul says, when I could bear that no longer, when I could no longer tolerate this separation that I had from you believers, the idea in this statement is Paul has this strong affection for these believers, that the separation resulted in an intense emotional pain for him. That's what that phrase means. When I could bear it no longer. Being separated from other Christians caused Paul an emotional pain. Let's not think about that. Is that us? A lot of times when we're separated from one another, is it this intense emotional pain that comes for us when we're separated from other believers? And then you're going, well, it's just a week, Gary. You know, Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to Wednesday and then Sunday. But here's what I'm... You see, Paul has been separated for a long period of time here and there's this intense emotional pain that he has. The point I wanted to make to you, we sit here today and there's a lot of people that are missing, right? They've been missing for several weeks and some of them into months. Do we have an intense emotional pain to find out why? Where are those believers that are separated from us? Do we have this intense emotional pain to know what's going on in their lives? Why are they not here? And Paul was concerned that he was separated from these people. He was concerned primarily about their spiritual well-being. Other believers whom he couldn't see, other believers whom he couldn't know as to how they were doing in their walk for Christ, he was so concerned that it brought him intense emotional pain. Other believers, I've been separated them for an extended period of time now. I can't know how they're doing spiritually, and it's causing Paul a deep emotional pain. My question for myself and you is, is that the case with us when we have believers that we're separated from for an extended period of time? Does it enter our minds? How are they doing? What's going on in their life? Does it cause us a great deal of concern? Look again at verse 1 and verse 2. There's this genuine sacrifice. Do you see what's going on? Paul has this intense emotional pain to know what's going on with believers he's separated from. How are they doing? And notice the sacrifice. Paul says that something had to be done to relieve this concern. Notice there, he says, when we could bear it no longer, notice what he says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, in verse 2, and we sent Timothy, our brother. Paul wanted to know. He couldn't get to them himself, but he was going to find out about these believers because he loved them so much. You remember in chapter 2, verse 17, when he says, we were torn apart from you? Remember me talking about that phrase that has the idea of parents being separated from their children as if they were orphaned? Paul doesn't use words just to be using words. He's making a point. It was as if you had took children and torn them away from their parents. That's how Paul felt. And he says, when I couldn't bear that no longer, I was willing to send Timothy to you and me be left here behind. He made a decision to send Timothy to him. And you're going, what's the big deal 
what's the big sacrifice with Paul sending Timothy and him being alone in Athens? Some of you are like, I sort of like being by myself a lot of times. And you're going, what's the big deal? See, Paul originally came to the city of Athens without his companions Silas and Timothy. But eventually, they came to where he was at. Keep in mind, he was there once before, separated from them, but they came. Before they came, he was in the city of Athens, which was extremely steeped in idol worship. Can you imagine being the only Christian in a city that is steeped in idol worship? By yourself. Carrying out the ministry of proclaiming the gospel. Paul was willing to be left alone a second time. He had Timothy with him. And Silas, I, I don't know exactly where Silas went, but he was sent out as well. But he sent Timothy. He was willing to be left alone, to be isolated. No Christian fellowship in the city by himself. The term left alone there that Paul uses has the idea of being abandoned or forsaken. Timothy was a great source of fellowship for Paul. Paul says in verse 1, he was willing to be left behind, forsaken, abandoned. He was willing to be left alone, willing to be isolated by himself in an idolatrous, God-hating city. He thought it best to be left behind for the well-being of other believers. Do you see what Paul is saying here? I was so concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people, I made a great sacrifice And I sent Timothy and I stayed behind by myself to proclaim the gospel here in this idolatrous city alone. And you're going, well, okay, I I may never be in that position. That's not the point. The point was that Paul was willing to make a great sacrifice because he cared so much about other believers. How many of you uh, would be... Let me sort of try to bring this down for us. You know, I'm sort of new in the area, and y'all tell me, don't go to Rocky Mountain after dark, okay? Everybody laughs. All right, so I don't go to Rocky Mountain after dark. I try to make my way home. And so, Leonard, you're the only guy, and me and you are together, and you're concerned about the people at Redbud, so you say, Gary, you go to Redbud and take care of the believers, and I'm going to stay in Rocky Mountain by myself. You get the picture? That's what Paul has done. But Athens is Rocky Mountain steroids. I mean, it's bad. There's no believers there. He's the only one there. He's willing to be left behind. So what do, we, what do we make of this? Affection, folks. A strong love for other Christians leads to sacrifice. Love gives itself away for the sake of other people. When you truly love someone, listen, you don't love them for your sake. You love them for what? Their sake. Here's what we do a lot of times in in, the human realm, and and sometimes even in the church. We love people for our sake when they do what? When they love us back. But you know what real love is? It's loving someone for their sake, even though you may not get anything back. Selfless sacrifice in order to meet the needs of others is a measurement of true concern and care for other people. And Paul was willing to sacrifice greatly to meet the needs of other believers. Look at verse 2. Paul describes Timothy here. He says, We sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Notice that Paul refers to Timothy. I love this. He, he says he's his brother, which 
we understand that. That's a spiritual term, which means uh, we're, we're together in the family of God, but it means so much more than that. We are, we are bonded together by the gospel. He is my brother in Christ. But notice what he calls Timothy. My, he, he says he's God's co-worker. Isn't that an interesting way to refer to someone? A co-worker with God. How many of you go to work in a public place and you have a co-worker? Sort of the same idea. Timothy's co-worker was who? God. How is it possible for a man to be a co-worker with God? Notice that he was a co-worker there because he what? Proclaimed the gospel of Christ. In chapter 2, verses 2, 8, and 9, the salvation message is called the gospel of God. Here it's said to be the gospel of Christ. Which is it? The gospel of God, the gospel of Christ. It's both. God provided it, and He provided it in and through Jesus. Think about this. To be a co-worker with God means that we proclaim the gospel. The gospel of God that comes through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. If you proclaim any other gospel, you are not a co-worker with God. Those who go around proclaim they work for God at the same time, they deny the essential truths about Jesus, are not co-workers with God. I don't care if they are on TV and they have thousands in attendance. Co-workers with God proclaim the good news of Jesus dying to redeem sinners and rising from the dead to justify them to the God from whom their sin has separated them. And it also calls people to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. It calls redeemed sinners to a life of dying to self and serving others. That's what it means to be a co-worker with God. Notice that Paul had two reasons for sending Timothy. He says, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel to do what? To establish, and secondly, to exhort you in the faith. The first reason was to establish. Some of you have translations may say strengthened. They were sent there to establish the Thessalonian Christians in their faith. The idea is that of supporting or reinforcing the faith of these believers. Strong faith, established faith is a result of knowing and understanding the truth about who God is. And that requires a firm foundation in the sound teachings of who God is. Timothy was set there to, to establish them. Not only was he set there to establish, but notice he was sent there to do what? To exhort them or encourage them, the Christians in their faith. The idea is that of coming alongside and motivating and comforting a believer to live out the truths of the Scripture. To come alongside. To call to the side of. To dwell with. That's what that term means. Timothy's purpose in ministry to these believers was to come alongside, to dwell with them, to encourage them, to establish them, to grow them in the faith that they would remain true to the gospel. Do you see what Timothy was doing here? I, that term dwell is very important. I mean... Uh, to exhort, it has the idea of dwelling, to come alongside someone and to strengthen them in the faith. As a way of application, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Have you ever been in a position where you needed encouragement in your walk for Christ? I do. Do you need someone to come alongside you and to encourage you and strengthen you at times in the faith? Absolutely. 
Have you ever given thought to calling on another mature believer in the congregation to help ask them to help you walk and strengthen your faith? Have you ever thought of doing that? You know why we don't do that sometimes? Pride. We'd rather walk and stumble in our Christian walk than to admit that we're struggling and reach out to somebody and say, help me. And I'm going to go ahead and say this. As a man, because I are one, I can say this. We're the world's worst. I don't need no help. I'm a man. I can handle this. That's the most dangerous thing you can ever say in the Christian life. I got it taken care of. Do you know someone who's struggling in the faith? Someone you could come alongside of and encourage them to keep the faith? There always will be someone in the church who needs encouragement. Always. That's one of the reasons God puts us together in this thing called the church. If you could do it on your own, you know what would happen? You get saved, you could sit at home on Sundays. Or on Wednesdays. And never come together. That's why He gives us the church people. That's how important it is. There's, can I say this? There's more to church membership than just getting your name on the roll. This is yes. There's more to it than just getting your name on the roll. As a member of a local church, you have the responsibility to come alongside and encourage other believers. You have the responsibility to strengthen and encourage other believers so they don't lose heart. We talked about this on Wednesday night, remember? We need to be praying that we don't what? Lose heart. Who told us that? Jesus. Look around this congregation. Is there someone you know who needs some encouragement, some strengthening, some establishing in their faith? It's as simple as a phone call. Or taking the time to write a card. Or maybe just stopping them on Sunday when we're out of church on Wednesday night and say, Look, I know you're struggling. I know this is going on in your life. How's things going? I'm here for you. You ever been in one of those positions where you just wanted somebody you could just... Man, you were just you were hurting. And you thought, I wish I just had somebody that I could just take all this and just... That's what we're for. That's what the believers are for. To bear the burdens of others. To encourage them. And the, can you imagine the weight... When people are trying to walk for Jesus and they got the cares of life and everything pressing down on them, they're trying to bear that burden alone, and someone comes along and says, let me help you carry that burden. I can't fix your problem, but I'm here. I can, I can help you. I want to strengthen you. I want, I want you to keep the faith. And we, what do we do to encourage them? We preach the gospel to them, right? We tell them that Jesus died to redeem them from their sins, and they're made right with God, and one day Jesus will come back and all this will be gone. You know what? You're sitting here and you're going, I've been in church, I've been here now all my Christian life. I get tired. That proves my point. We need people to encourage us, to keep us focused on the day when Jesus will come. Notice in verses 3 and 4, here we see the reason for such establishing and exhorting in the faith. If you're making an outline, verses 3 and 4, the Christian's goal... For strengthening faith. The Christian's goal for strengthening faith. He says in verse 3 that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come and just as you know. Notice the goal in verse 3 for exhorting 
establishing and encouraging that what? No one be moved by these afflictions. The phrase there has the idea of causing one to be emotionally upset. Moved. They're emotionally upset by the afflictions and trials. Emotionally upset because of what's weighing down on them in life. These afflictions point to the idea of tribulation that is specific sometimes to Christians. We all suffer as Christians, right? Just as lost people do. But we suffer a lot of times because we're what? Believers. We bear the burden of being a follower of Christ. Well, not a burden. We bear the affliction and the suffering that comes from being a follower of Christ because we believe in Jesus. Paul was concerned that these Thessalonians, their suffering might lead them astray from following Jesus. Timothy was to establish and exhort these believers so they would not, what? Be moved by these afflictions. We are fooling ourselves if we think we can walk through this life as a long ranger Christian and bear the burden of living out the faith while we wait for Jesus. Look at verse 3 again. He says, For you, you yourselves know that we are what? Destined for this. What is this? Afflictions. You know that we are destined for this. What are believers destined for? Uh-oh. Afflictions. You know what? That cut out most of our TV preachers right there. Health, wealth, and gospel is gone. Believers are destined for affliction, Paul says. Paul says, suffering, affliction, trials in the Christian life, they're not to be a surprise. We're destined for them. They're certain to come. They won't maybe come. They won't might come. They won't maybe could come. They will come. They're destined to come. And it's our job to prepare one another for those afflictions when they come. How do you prepare for afflictions? By being rooted and grounded in the gospel. By being exhorted and encouraged by other believers in the faith. By being exhorted and encouraged in the good news of the gospel and what it has done for you and what awaits you as a believer. That's how we prepare other believers to endure trials and afflictions and sufferings. They are coming. They will come. We're destined for them. Notice in verse 4, Paul says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we are to suffer affliction. Now, isn't it interesting that a regular topic of Paul's teaching of these believers was, you're going to suffer. Now, how would you like that to be part of your daily teaching? All right, class, it's time for Suffering 101. Let's sit down and pull out our notebooks. You know, I'm, I'm trying to wake you up a little bit here. I have to have a little humor there because we, we nod off from time to time. Why would that be the case? Why would Paul do that? Are you, are you trying to... Why would Paul teach that? Probably because Jesus taught him. Mm. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Just make you a note and don't turn there. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You know what the next words are? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus again in John 16.33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? 
Does anybody know? Tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And then Paul, in Acts chapter 14, has returned to these cities that he's been preaching the gospel in. And he says in verse 22, Acts 14, here's why he went back. Listen to what he says. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. Saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. What was Paul doing? You enter the kingdom of God through tribulations. I'm here to encourage you to keep the faith. Suffering is part of the very process of being a Christian. And Paul, has, as a believer, was concerned about the spiritual welfare of other believers. He taught them, be prepared for suffering. How many of you have ever been to the dentist? I'm not scared of a whole lot, and I'm not scared of the dentist, but I'm very uncomfortable. You, you know, you lay back, your palms start sweating, and it's like I almost need to take a, another shirt with me, so when I'm done, I, man, it's just, it's, un, it's unnerving for me. But I'm grateful that the dentist says, okay, now I'm going to use this instrument and I'm going to be doing this. He's preparing you for that, right? I think it took them a few years to learn that. Normally they just go in your mouth and do all this stuff and you start frailing your arms and everything else. But now they sort of what? It's going to hurt. Here's what I'm going to be doing, so get ready. That's what I'm talking about here today. Christians, open wide. It's coming. But here's what you do. I'm going to encourage you. Here's the gospel. Remember what the gospel promises us? That Jesus is coming one day. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. No more suffering, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. Keep the faith, my brother. Keep the faith. How do we apply this? We shouldn't look upon suffering as something shameful and foreign in our lives. A lot of times, it goes back to what I said earlier, pride. We don't want to share with people that we're suffering because we think it's something shameful in our lives. Instead, you need to keep your mind focused on the fact that God, who is over all, watches over His people and that suffering comes only such as God allows it to come in your life. There's always some lesson to be learned from suffering. Always. It's part of being shaped into what God would have you and me to be. Remember as a kid, when you get ready to get a switch, what would they say? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you're like, no, it's not. (laughs) I think a lot of times it it hurts God for suffering to come in our lives. But at the same time, He rejoices in it because He's going to do what? He's going to take something bad and make something good of our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 5. You're outlining. This one's a little long. Christians are attentive to protect the spiritual condition of others. Christians are attentive to protect the spiritual condition of others. He says, for this reason, here's this statement again, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul almost repeats himself here from what he's already said. By doing so, he reveals another attitude of his heart here to protect other believers. First, Paul said he sent Timothy to strengthen the faith. Here in verse 5, he gives another reason. Namely, 
that he might be assured of something. Paul was anxious to hear that the faith of these believers had not failed in a time of testing. Paul had a constant concern for other believers and how they were walking for Christ. Notice this fear. He says, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had, what? Tempted you. The tempter here he's referring to who is who? Satan. Paul's concern, his fear was that Satan had tempted them to do what? Reject the gospel. We talked about this Wednesday night in our study in Luke chapter 18. Praying that we don't lose heart. Paul was concerned that Satan, ever how he was working, would cause these people to walk away from the gospel. Satan strives to weaken the faith of those who believe in Jesus. Paul knew that if Satan was hindering his return to get back there, what was he doing to the people who were there? The word tempted when used in this context was Satan has the idea of enticing someone to improper behavior. Enticing someone to improper behavior, and and your mind's racing right now. Oh, what kind of improper behavior? In this case, the improper behavior would be weakened faith, unbelief, and a failure to trust God in times of suffering. Paul is telling us here that Satan had in fact tempted these believers, and what was his concern? That our labor would be what? In vain. It would be worthless. Our time spent with you would be worthless. Paul knew that if Satan succeeded in his attack on these believers, his labor would be worthless. Thus the reason going back for Paul's sacrifice. Paul was willing to be left alone in the city consumed with idol worship. He was willing to sacrifice his own comfort by sending the one companion he had to be with other people. Paul was saying, you're more important than my own comfort. Paul's main concern was the welfare of other believers. His concern was that these believers continue to walk with Jesus. Let's make some application here. Do you know how fearful it can be to labor in the gospel, to labor to grow others in the faith and think that it might be possible that your labor would be in vain? I pour myself, uh, I try to help someone grow and to think that maybe what I'm doing might be in vain, it might be worthless. What do you do when you think another believer might be tempted to throw in the towel, to give up the faith? Are you concerned about them? You ever known someone you're thinking... I don't know how much more they can bear. They might just throw in the towel and what I've done would be in vain. Are you a Paul? Are you willing to sacrifice again some of your comfort in order to help another believer when he's struggling? Are you willing to sacrifice some time and come alongside another brother or sister in Christ? Are you willing to take the time and sit with another believer and pray with them that they wouldn't be moved by suffering? Are you willing to be Timothy and help establish and exhort a struggling brother or sister? Just keep the faith. And you might be going, I can't solve their problems. That's not what we're talking about. It's sitting down and reminding people of what? The gospel and what awaits us as believers. Paul sacrificed and sent Timothy to establish and to exhort these believers. Paul wanted them to be rooted and grounded in the faith. To be rooted and grounded in the gospel. That's what you and I want our ministry to result in in this church, do we not? 
Do you not want part of your life to be that you encourage and establish and exhort other believers to keep the faith? So that at the end, when Jesus comes back, we're standing there, and there's your crown and joy. There's my brothers and sisters who endured to the end. Every believer in the church, every believer in this church has a responsibility to serve other believers by coming alongside and helping them walk worthy of the gospel. To help them be rooted and grounded in the faith. Quickly here. I remember last week, uh, was it last week or the week before? I lose track. Our Bible conference. I, I had several of you, uh, in reference to David, who preached our revival, say, man, he just tells it like it is, doesn't he? And I was like, yeah. That's why I had him come. You want no fluff. I want to preach the Word and tell it like it is. Can I do the same this morning? You're like, oh, no. My responsibilities as your pastor are these. To preach, to study, to preach, to understand God's Word and come on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night and exhort you through the teaching of the Word of God. Part of my responsibilities are to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, to come alongside you, to visit with you, to encourage you, to pray for you. To know your life and share your life with you. And you're all nodding your head. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. But there's one thing that I'm supposed to do that sometimes we forget. I'm supposed to equip you to do the work of ministry. Let me read from from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Two, equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're going, uh-oh. He's supposed to equip me to do some of what he does? This is yes. Listen for why. For building up the body of Christ. Wow. I'm to equip you, and the result is so the body of Christ will be built up. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body... You, joined and held together by every joint. Who are the every joints? You, you're a joint, you're a joint, you're a joint. When we're all put together, we do what? We make the body. Joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped when each part is working properly. What does that mean? Sometimes... Joints don't work, right? And the rest of the body does what? Let's sit down. Let's don't do that. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Every one of you are responsible. My job is to equip you to do the work of ministry, that we help one another come together and we're one body growing together in the gospel. And I'm going to say this, you hear me say this often, and I'll continue to say it, there's more to the Christian life than just getting fire insurance. 
or getting your name on the roll. There's more to being a Christian than just getting your get out of hell free card and getting your name on the church roll. We've seen today there's a lot more to it. Let's pray. Notice in the bulletin this morning we're having a baptism. And when I'm done through praying, I'm going to ask those who are participating in the baptism just to make your way out when I'm done.